0: Third Paradigm.
1: We are your host, Clarity and Nuance.
2: Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The host and guest come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking.
1: We here at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, host and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm.
2: However, when we, the hosts, share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. So what is the topic for today, Clarity?
1: Well, now, uh, today's topic is Small Business Saturday. Uh, we here at Third Paradigm believe this is the opportunity to shed some light on small and independent business owners.
2: Excellent. With this pandemic, independent and small businesses have been hit exceptionally hard from limited availabilities, patrons, hours of operation, and especially the deep impact economically. We wanted to hear directly from business owners, big and small, their perspectives about being a business owner going through
1: this tough time. Before we get started I want to lay out a few ground rules. So first um, if you are not speaking we do ask you to mute your mic uh, so that we don't get too much noise in the background and then also um, we want to ask everyone to treat everybody with respect so that means try to not over each other. But again, we understand it's uh, completely all online. So totally understandable. Let's also please be respectful of others' opinions. I will keep track of the time. Each question should take no more than five minutes to get through. And it is open dialogue. So it's not five minutes per person per question. Um, and also before you answer the question or have a statement, please announce your first name so the listeners know who is speaking.
2: According to the Farm Bureau Financial Services, in an article released October 30, 2020, American Express reported consumers have spent an estimated total of more than $120 billion at small businesses on Small Business Saturday over the past 10 years. What is Small Business Saturday? Small Business Saturday is an annual holiday that encourages holiday shoppers to to shop at local businesses. Small Business Saturday takes place on Saturday following Thanksgiving.
1: Small Business Saturday started as a campaign launched by the American Express on November 27, 2010 to help small businesses gain exposure and inspire consumers to shop within their own communities during the holiday season. The day became official in 2011 when Washington state mayors, governors, Senators, and President Obama shared their support for Small Business Saturday. In 2012, the American Express Express amplified the campaign by helping small business owners promote their businesses. That year, an estimated 5.5 billion dollars was spent at a small business with, to small businesses nationwide.
2: Fantastic. Please state your first name so our listeners can hear who is on our panel. We will dive into what your
0: business is in a moment.
1: So, who would like to go first?
0: Dr. Raymond Hillebrand.
1: Welcome, Doctor.
3: Tanya Karsten with Tanya's Victorian Rose. Welcome, Tanya. Welcome, Tanya. Thank
4: you. Kimberly Bale. Welcome,
3: Kimberly.
0: Kimberly.
5: Kimberly. Hi, Kim. Hi. Dr.
6: Aparajita, Judy Bunker, or AJ.
5: Welcome, Dr.
1: AJ. Yes, thank you for being here. Uh,
7: Eric Thomas, Saga Storytelling Agency.
1: Welcome, Eric.
2: Yes, welcome, Eric. It
1: looks like we have one more everyone that we have today.
6: Um, Eden Subelbara,
1: Real Power Film. Welcome, Eden. We thank you all for being here today and taking the time out. So with that being said, um, I think we got everybody. Yep. Um, we are ready to begin. Is everyone ready to go? Mhm. Yes. 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 So, um, Nuance, do you want to read the icebreaker?
2: Yes. For our icebreaker question. Today is blue or
3: black ink, why? Blue or black ink? Yep. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll go first. This is Tanya. I say blue ink because it was a really gray day and we need a little color in this world today.
1: Ooh, that's
7: good.
3: This is Dr. AJ.
5: Um, I'm going to throw a twist there, both, uh, depending on the situation, because um, there are studies that show that when you're taking notes, blue ink is a little bit more effective, but when you're trying to process and do some reflection, uh, black ink, you know, at that point, it doesn't matter, and I prefer black.
1: Ooh, that's a good perspective.
0: I say blue ink. I love blue just because it's unique. Black is almost like, um reminds me of something that could be copied. Blue is like, uh, it just stands out.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, very good. I like that one. Works. Anybody else?
4: I'll say black. I'll say black ink just because it's the only thing I have available. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to be different. I want to be different.
2: <laughs> Interesting. I haven't heard red. I'm sorry.
1: Who was that?
0: I haven't no, heard. No, just saying. Red. I want to be different.
1: You want to be different? What's your What's your answer?
0: No, I'm just saying. I mean, she was saying I just want to be different to show a different perspective. That's all.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. those That's a really
6: good um, different here. Uh, in here, I'll probably go with black, because I think nothing beats a classic,
1: so. Mm. Okay. These are really good answers, and they range everything from how the colors look, to the functionality, to what is readily available, to like, either or or neither. And getting more color in our world. Mm-hmm. wonder about blue and black ink at the exact same time. <laughs> <laughs>
7: This is -hmm. is Eric. I've honestly never cared as long as it goes on to the check. If it is processed, I'm fine with whatever color that signature
1: works. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the check kind of more important than the color of the. don't care about
3: the color at all. (laughs) That's right. If they take
7: green, then we're going green.
1: Or like a neon orange color.
7: Do it cash. I
1: just (laughs) want (laughs) to know. Oh, excellent, excellent questions. So, anybody else have any uh, input? All right, well, I think we are ready to move on to the questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Awesome. Ready. All right, so we'll start with question number one. Um, Question number one is, what is your business and what services do you provide?
3: I can go ahead and start. This is Tanya. Uh, My business is a restaurant. So it's called Tanya's Victorian Rose, and it is a tea room and restaurant that serves comfort food. We serve chicken pot pies, quiches, soups, salads, sandwiches, and desserts and little fancy two tiers. So as you can imagine, we are really uh, in it right now with the restaurants being the the dine-in portion being uh, shut down. So I don't think anyone really thinks it's just going to be a three-week shutdown, but we will probably get into that more later. Uh, But just to answer the question, it's Tanya's Victorian Rose in downtown Rochester, and it is a restaurant. Thank you for sharing. This is AJ.
5: This is AJ. Can I just do a quick shout out for Tanya's Chicken Pot Pies? Because they are amazing. Thank
0: you. Hey, I've had them too. Yeah. Too, <laughs> Thank you. Now you, uh, clubs can make them like better than her. <laughs> <laughs> All
4: right.
0: My name is um. Let me be next. Yep. yep. All right. Uh, my name is Dr. Raymond Hillebrand. I'm a chiropractor in Beverly Hills. Um, name of my practice is Pro Chiropractic because I take care of a lot of professional athletes and young young athletes. Um, and it's been tough during COVID only because, you know, a lot of people are concerned about their health. So I'm trying to get them on being proactive. And I am trying to give them, like, home exercise equipment, um, nutrition advice, and just try to be more proactive than worrying about being reactive. And, and just trying to um, get them to think about calling friends they haven't talked to in a while. So I'm trying to keep them socially healthy also. You know what I mean? Just try to give them ideas on how to be healthy physically, chemically, and emotionally.
1: That is awesome. That is really needed. Thank you.
0: Yeah.
2: Definitely need our young athletes.
1: And good shape. job with Okay, who's next?
4: I'll go next. Um, I am Kimberly Bell, owner of Kimmy B's Design Lab, which is an Etsy shop. Um, and I sell um, social justice items, my um, shop stickers, garden flags, t shirts. Okay.
1: That's
3: wonderful. Will you be sharing your Etsy site with us? Sure. Is there a chat? Maybe you can put it in the chat.
1: Yep, we're also going to put it in our description box as well. So we're going to make sure to promote all of your businesses through our social media as well.
4: Okay. Awesome. Yes. Hey,
1: who else do we have left? It looks like uh, we have Eden and Eric. You should have a couple. Uh,
7: so, I'm Eric. I guess I can talk about mine. Uh, so, my name is Eric Thomas. My, I own a storytelling agency called Saga. Uh, we do a ton of stuff messaging, marketing, branding, communication, social media, community engagement, outreach, marketing campaigns, um, workshops, corporate leadership trainings around story and community and culture and inclusion. Um, and we work with mostly nonprofits, cultural centers, and municipalities. Wow.
2: That's a good field. Definitely a lot.
6: <laughs> I'm very mm-hmm. um, So I guess I'm the last. Um, so uh, I'm with Real Clever Films. I'm the co- uh, one of the co-founders. Um, and we are explicitly a, a film and video production company. Uh, we do a lot of documentary style approach um, for, um, Similarly to Eric's, like, to a lot of nonprofits, um, public media, uh, you know, nationwide media platforms, um, like uh, CNBC, um, uh, a a bunch of other places. um, And we do a lot of storytelling in the community, what we do.
5: Cool.
1: Thank you so much.
5: I'm live. Uh, I'm... Dr. I have my own business. I am a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and coach, as well as a leadership consultant and coach. Um, I work uh, in two ways one with companies uh, who want to address the gaps in their diversity, equity, and inclusion infrastructure initiatives, and I. Um, specifically focus on equity and inclusion, and on the individual level I work with people to help them become more visible leaders who are seen, heard, and valued, Um, and I help them exponentially increase their leadership presence, income, and impact while beating the misery of being overworked and underappreciated.
2: That's fantastic.
1: That's that's very important. All right. Ready to move on to the next question?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll take this next one. If there was one thing that I could wish society would understand about small businesses, it is blank. Fill in the blank.
3: Ooh. Can I go? Absolutely. Okay. This is Tanya. Um, I think sometimes there are people out there who think that anybody who runs a business is rich and they don't realize how much time and effort and pain we go through to run the business. And more than anything, they don't understand the cost. Of running a business and so frequently we'll get questions like why is it so expensive how come you don't offer this if I were you I would do this and it's just interesting because they don't really realize how many or how much time you put into it how much effort and, they, and I think they just think, well, anyone who's a business owner has money. And many times, small business owners don't even take a paycheck at first. So um, I would say that's my one wish is that they would realize that we all are in the same boat. And it's not, it, you know, it's not like us trying to drill down with our thumb and push someone else down into the ground.
1: That's a really good perspective. AJ, uh, Dr. AJ, do you have any input?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I completely agree with um, everything that Tanya said. Um, First of all, I think that was very, uh, it's a very observation. Most people don't realize that as entrepreneurs, we have to wear all the hats. We don't get a choice. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, if if there was one wish I would have, it would be for people to realize how many of the our small businesses are owned by people who have been historically marginalized? And we decided to create our own entities because we weren't given that space. So when you support a small business owner, keeping that in mind, more, more than likely, as an investor and a consumer, you can do your part to help with the diversity movement with the equity movement and with the inclusion movement by, by being consumers for small business owners, instead of big corporate giant, nameless, faceless things.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Very, very good perspective. And I admire the, um, shout out to the intersectionality when it comes to business owners as well.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: We could get into the stats of it. You know, I have them, but I won't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Kim, do you have any input?
4: Um, I agree with what both ladies have said, Um, just helping consumers understand that, you know, we are just, I'm a micro business. It's just me running every aspect, from printing, shipping, I mean, everything. So sometimes, it can be a
3: little overwhelming, but you know, could give us grace
1: sometimes. Absolutely, Doctor Raymond.
4: Mm, it's
0: kind of like I don't think they really put it in perspective because usually the ones that are saying stuff don't realize that behind the scenes is a lot of extra work, a mm-hmm. lot of extra work, mm-hmm. and yeah, and now with that it's kind of like, um, it, it's like. The bank always tells me it's really the risk of owning a business that's like the scariest and, and has the most value, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Definitely. So it's kind of like uh, that's that's what's like people don't understand, Like there's a risk involved and, and that bill's gotta be paid. So when you're sick and you don't wanna work and stuff like that, it's different, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just like, uh, you know, I, I respect all p- uh, owners and until you're an owner, you don't understand it. And you're, if you've never been an owner, you will never understand it until you're in that position.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Uh,
0: perspective I've never really considered. Thank you for
2: pointing that out.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. And most of the time I think, um, our families are sometimes neglected because we're so focused on the business. Um, because there's mm-hmm. so much that one person has to do, that so we end up spending more time trying to make sure the business aspect is the way it should be, and we're providing quality products and services for our customers. But at the same time, our family—that time that we're spending on our businesses, our families, um, our family members aren't getting that time from us. So, but, I agree with that too.
1: Yeah, I agree.
7: This is Eric. I, I would like to add for also, hey Eden. I didn't realize I was that Eden. Hey, hey, hey <laughs> Hey Fred. Um, <laughs> yes, Eric
5: and I know each other. It.
6: I was like real clever
7: films.
6: I rock with them. Um I'm
7: like Eden, <laughs> you <talking about> me? <laughs> um I this is what I wish people would know about small and I am the king of ranting about how terrible this lifestyle is. Um, um and I've <laughs> gone through <laughs> I've gone through levels of this. right? I've made a million dollars. I've lived on $20 a week type of stuff. I wish people would understand I – I wish small business owners would understand that just because you have a hobby doesn't mean it should be a business. Because if you are running a business, you're going to be more focused on process than you are the thing that you enjoy doing. You'd be better off sometimes going to work for somebody with Mm -hmm. infrastructure so that you can do the thing that you love. When you start the business, you're going to stop doing the things you love and start running a business. Yeah. second thing I wish people would understand before they go into business is, I don't want a boss is not a reason to start a business. When you start Mm -hmm. a business, you do have 10 million bosses. You need to just... Bite your teeth, you know, bite your tongue and deal with one manager. Because when you start a business, you got forty thousand managers and your employees. If you get to that scale, you answer to your employees too. You can't just not pay somebody and be mean. You will go ahead, you will get indicted. You will get sued, right? Like so, it's like there are levels. And I, I, say that like I've had, I think at maximum I've had 10, I had ten employees and thirty some odd contractors at one point. And I was like, this is dumb. Why am I doing (laughs) that? But it it is... People who run businesses usually are driven to fill some gap. And if you don't feel driven and compelled to do it, don't do it because it sounds cool. Because it's not until it is. And it's going to be a long time between not and is. Yeah, this
5: is AJ. Can I just add something to what Eric said? Uh, and this is very specific to the, you know, coaching and consulting industry, and it directly talks to his point about the hobby, is there are so many people out there that give advice to, like, two or three people, and then they say, um, oh, yeah, I'm just going to become a coach. And Mm -hmm. they just... Add on this coach title at the end of their name or you know whatever and uh, but they actually have not done any of the work necessary to like walk that walk and that actually ends up diluting the entire space and giving everybody a bad name because exactly like as Eric said coaching is a business there is a process there is a system there are there's trainings you have to go through there's so much involved in it and when people just come in and decide to do this, it's like, dude, you're giving everybody a bad name just because you answered like three questions, right? So I wish people would understand that. And just, one, stop doing it. And two, stop going, <laughs> stop going for coaches who are like that. <laughs> <laughs> right? well, that's
1: really
7: good. Amen. The, the 22-year-old life coaches and the person who was watching The Profit who's now a business consultant, and all these people who've never, who've never spent more than five grand trying to—I had a guy in my office who who had no business ever and was like, "Hey, I can help you manage, you know, this. What's going on? It's like, bro, we're bringing in fifty to to a hundred thousand dollars a month, um, and you're telling me where I should spend money. You've never even spent this kind of money. Like, I'm just gonna burn it until I find somebody who knows what the answer is. Which <laughs> mm-hmm. you should, never yeah. And what you can do are very fundamentally different things.
1: Very, very good, <laughs> yep. Eden. It looks like we have you last. <laughs> yeah, I
6: think. I think. I think. I mean, how do, bit, fo- how do you follow? How do you follow? Uh, talking point after Eric Thomas, right? Like, he, <laughs> I think like he, he, uh, he encapsulated pretty much everything. Um, that I, I mean, all the points here were were fantastic. Um, and yeah, something to the point too that Eric mentioned about you know, I, I meet a lot of like aspiring business owners to say something like, oh, well, I would rather work for myself because, you know, like working, you know, in the corporate scheme of things, like it's not working for me. I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to report to, to anyone. But like what a lot of people don't realize is when you become your, when you become a business owner, you become your own brand and that brand answers to the client. So, you know, you don't just, you don't just have one boss this time around. You will have a multitude of clients to answer to and so a lot of times yes it does look like you know it's kind of like a way out of a lot of the usual structures that we're a part of but it is a lot of responsibility and i feel like that's been echoed by a lot of us um I, for one, have a five-year-old. You know, I have a family. I have a dog and a cat, and <laughs> a lot of times I do sacrifice a lot of that family time, you know, for the growth of this business. And that just is something that is a reality that I don't think a lot of people truly understand when they're when they're not a business owner.
1: These are excellent responses. Do we do we get everyone a chance to speak?
3: Yeah, can I add one thing? Sure. Okay, Does anyone else out there feel like it's very lonely? being a business owner, meaning uh, you can't go to work and go and talk to your employees the way you would as an actual employee. Like when I worked for a company, you could go in and be like, oh yeah, it was a sucky day today, you know, or you could just throw ideas at the wall, but you can't do that with your employees. You have to maintain a certain level of... Uh, professionalism and keep a little bit of a distance. You can be friendly with your employees, but at the end of the day, uh, you you can't be friends with your employees. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Mhm.
6: 100% Agreed. I think
7: there's a, I think I think there are different philosophies on how you do that. I've had times where I've been very close to my employees. I've had times where I've been kind of distant. Um, I think it just depends on the philosophy and the way that you want to run it. There is a I, – I don't understand where the philosophy that you can't be friends with your employees comes from, um, other than the idea to maintain some type of hierarchy. Um, and I I feel weird when it's like when you have a hierarchy and it's only like three of y'all. It's like all of y'all listen to Janice. It's like yeah. you like, what is going on? Well, I understand there's like a thousand people in your company and you need structures in place so that people don't sue you for looking at them for too long or whatever. But like when it's like three people, I, I don't know why people create that level of distance, especially when you do need – you kind of need people to love you and invest in you when things are hard. And so sometimes having people who are your friends or really care about you is, will help you get through really hard times. I've had times where I wasn't able to pay my employees that week. You know, and it's like, okay, we, but like, we got to talk about it. <laughs> we got to talk about what's coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Yes. I do agree mm-hmm.
0: with
3: that. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, it's a team play. You know what I mean? But I mean, sometimes it's like kind of like you, you um. You know, you have to do, you have to do what you got to do is uh, tell them and share with them the responsibility to be successful. But sometimes you can't tell them the person personal things, because then now you're giving away some of that business savvy. You know what I mean? Or not?
5: I agree. And I think like, you know, to Eric's point, um, the way I think about it, because I actually agree with him in that that, even with a small team, there needs to be a little bit of a boundary in the sense of the fact that at the end of the day, this is your baby. And it doesn't matter. Going back to that earlier point, it doesn't matter how tired you are. It doesn't matter how sick you are, and, and, and you know you are still responsible for your team members as the, because this is your baby. So having that emotional intelligence and beating that imposter syndrome and beating that you know expectation of perfection while still, like, being able to manage emotions, motivate everybody to do what they need to, and still being able to ask for help. I think it's a, it's a very tricky, tightrope that changes day by day. You know, no, no two days are the same in the life of a small business owner, even a successful small business owner, because things always come up, whether it's a team of three or thirty. And so it's it's kind of navigating that and keeping your sanity, that's where some of these boundaries come in because it really is for your sanity at the end of the day.
1: These are excellent responses. And I mm-hmm. wanted to um, add that extra additional five minutes for that question that Tanya posed because that wasn't even on our list. And that really dives deep into the psyche of a business owner because that is something that, Almost echoes that very uh, the second question that we asked about what would we want society to understand about businesses is that, like you mentioned, Tanya, that when you hire people, they're your employees now. So there's a different way you approach them than you would as a friend, and that mm-hmm. can have very significant psychological differences. Um, I don't want to say damages, because so that's not the case, but like um, impact on how you present yourself and how you um, interact with them. Um, but we're gonna move on from that question, but I want to give that extra time for that question because that was extremely impactful. So thank you, Tanya, for mm-hmm. moving that question for the group. Um, so question number three, um, how has this pandemic impacted your business? And let's start off with Dr. Raymond.
0: Well, uh, in the beginning, it was uh, drastic. Like I went from seeing 250 patients to seeing 50. So it was, uh, it was huge. I think people now are more concerned about being proactive. And within a three-mile radius, there's uh, we have five chiropractors and two are out, of, are out of business. And I'm seeing almost as much as I've seen before COVID, um, except for the last like week. Um, you know, this new scare again is scaring people. But people are starting to come in and ask me, hey, Dr. Ray, um, what are you doing about this? what what should i do about this because i feel like there's something that's going to be around for a while and i want to be ready in case something else is going to come about because they don't want to be just staying in my house anymore he goes i don't want to, a lot of people don't want to live like that anymore so now they're being like all right how do i work out how do i take care of myself at home how, what what vitamins should i be taking how can i boost up my immune system physically and chemically by nutrition and, and so my practice that's helped my practice like immense by that
1: excellent excellent responses good
0: response so yeah. right now I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to make this an opportunity more than a pity party for me you know what I mean that's And nice so that. Uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make it so all right what opportunity what doors how do I need to change my practice to accommodate the people's thought processes on what's happening around in today's society
1: that's a very very good mode to get into is how do i navigate through this rather than like fight against it kimberly do you have an input uh input
4: yes so i think what COVID did for in the pandemic it kind of forced me to pivot um my business i think before we got started on the call, I was sharing with you all that my business that I recently started is EdTech Academy, and in that business, I was going into schools and teaching underserved populations of students about STEM and computer coding, Um, so after the school shut down, um, I kind of had to stop doing that and figure out a different way to do it um, because the teachers in schools were trying to figure out what do they do, you know. How do they get the students online and all that? So that business kind of paused for a while, and that's when I started Kimmy B's Design Lab. And that business kind of, I guess, through the pandemic and everything that was going on, the social justice aspect of everything, that kind of helped that business to grow while I was trying to pivot my other business.
1: Beautiful response. Absolutely. Eden, do you have an influence? in
6: Oh, I'm sorry. You want repeating the question, please?
1: Yeah, absolutely. How has this pandemic impacted your business?
6: Oh, it's been it's it's, it's been interesting to say the least. Um, obviously, when things shut down back in March and April, um, you know, the earlier parts of this pandemic, um, you know, the video and the film production industry is you know is reflected by Hollywood. Like took a massive uh, no size. and so you know, for I would say for the you know for the first for months it was just it was completely dead none of my friends and none of my colleagues were working we were wondering you know what the future is and you know continue to wonder what the future is of you know this industry that we chose but um interestingly enough towards the later half of um of you know of of 2020 like we got too big we got incredibly busy like I was like all the clients and all the business that we lost kind of came back almost like triple-fold, and it's so interesting to me, it's such an interesting phenomenon, I just feel like um, you know, quickly people found the ability to adjust to the new normal, it seemed like, including the client. Um and, you know, the industry continues to evolve with it, including with, you know, the safety protocols that we follow. It is, you know, one of those industries that Deal significantly with um, in person, like most face to face, you know, being on set, being in person. But, you know, we found very interesting ways to kind of get around that and adjust to um, our clients' uh, demands and, you know, directing remotely uh, the, you know, technological changes um, as we move forward in what seems to be a thing that continues to um, happen, which is um, COVID 19. So it's been interesting. It's been interesting to say the least
1: it's amazing how much this pandemic has affected all businesses, but in very different ways. So we got about a minute left on this question, so we'll leave it open for anyone who hasn't spoken, and then we'll continue.
3: So, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Oh, no, 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 go ahead. I'll just say it quickly. With the restaurant, um, clearly it has affected me because we were shut down for three months. Uh, and one of the big, um, problems, for me, was that my landlady, who has owned my property and had it paid off for thirty years, still demanded that I pay my rent and have it in on time, or I was out by the Monday
4: uh, after
3: not paying my rent. So, um, so there was that that I was dealing with. So we pivoted a Victorian tea room. It's so cute inside. It's very Victorian. Uh, that people come to for an experience. To take out uh, curbside and um, I was putting together picnics so people could pick up picnic baskets packed with food and they would go out and use our two tiers and teacups and bring them back and we would wash them um, and then we opened up for a while so it was kind of back to normal-ish uh, with the social distancing and all the cleaning extra cleaning that we had to do and now we're back to it for three weeks, probably longer. And so I am, I've purchased a small little greenhouse that has open vents and we're going to decorate it and allow one family at a time to be in there. And I'm going to put a little baby chandelier in there. And um, I'm not putting any of my employees at risk. Um, I myself will be waiting on people uh very minimally i'll I'll get their food orders first and get their food in there and then to go in and basically they will have to serve themselves their drinks i'll just have it all in there so um i think uh you know that's how i'm going to get by during this time um and i have a second business called ratatouille which is a cooking school for kids and um the way that this changed uh, is we normally would have about 400 students signed up for summer camp and we had maybe 30 total um, we did very small um camps very carefully after we were allowed to um it forced me to pivot in a way that um we're doing trying to put everything online for them because um i think it was dac ray who said earlier this isn't going away anytime soon so we're going to have find creative solutions to
1: yeah that's it's amazing how much like, like i was mentioning earlier like how much this pandemic has affected all businesses in different manners so thank mm-hmm. you everyone for sharing your views we're going to move on to the next question um nuance are you ready for it yep we're all ready yep go ahead okay um, this
2: question has two parts. First question: Describe your experience with the Paycheck Protection Program (PPP) and the COVID Economic Injury Disaster Loans (EIDL) or other relief funds. Did those programs help, hurt, or
0: unfazed your business, and why? I'm sorry, I missed that one. What about? All I heard was reply. Okay, so
2: the first question is: Describe your experience with the Paycheck Protection Program and the COVID-19 Economic Injury Disaster Loans or other relief funds.
0: I can go first. I mean, that that COVID, that COVID, social Protection thing. um, totally helped me get through this year for sure. No doubt. hmm the PPP, um, not PPL, or whatever, um, it just, man, I, I mean, I'm actually going to have a good year. I mean, because so that really, for a month, it was really hurt. And now I'm doing okay. So even if there's another stimulus, that's definitely going to keep me going. But I'm not going to wait for that this time. Because I, I realized how bad it was before that, if I didn't get that PPP program, I would have been stuck. That's so,
3: good. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, so for me, I jumped on it. I spent nine hours filling out for both the PPP and the IDLE for both businesses. And because it's just me, like we said before, we wear many hats. I don't have accountants and lawyers to do this for me, so I did it on my own, all the paperwork. And I got money for both. And what I found is the EPP was very helpful. Um, it's actually um, most likely going to all get forgiven. The idol turned out to be a loan. And that's actually hurting me because even um, even though it's a low percentage, it's a 3.75% interest rate, that is an extra $200 a month I have to pay. Um, and I didn't ask for a loan. I, I didn't ask for the COVID. Uh, I mean, clearly nobody asked for COVID to come along. But what I'm saying is I didn't ask I need help. Uh, and if it's going to be forgiven, then it's fine. But if I'm going to have a $36,000 loan tacked on and just to be able to run my business, that really doesn't help me. So, um, I'm actually going to be talking with my accountant soon and I might be giving the idle money back mm. because why should I pay 3.75, you know, an extra $200 a month when I'm already playing catch up? Because my restaurant has been at 50% capacity for 75% of the year so far. So um, that is how it has affected me.
1: Thank you for sharing those. We got about two minutes left on the question. Anybody else want to jump on? Um,
3: <clears throat>
5: it didn't help me. Uh, this is AJ. Uh, it personally didn't help me because there was just so much conflicting information initially. Um, on uh, who qualified, who didn't, and whatnot. I was initially told I didn't, then I was told that I did, then I was told that I didn't. And uh, and then on top of that, um, I'm in a situation where my, uh, my spouse and I, we file uh, taxes jointly. And so even though, um, you know, and my spouse has a nine to five, but because his income was a part of this, I got no help towards my business Mm. and I'm still, still trying, still having these conversations with them, trying to figure out like, what the heck, like, you know, this, he's not involved in my business. And then on top of that, you know, I think a lot of new business owners face this, including me, is that um, COVID happened at the time. Uh, right when COVID happened would have been my first tax filing because I started my business in 2019. Mm. And um, because of that in first initial COVID um, hit, my, I wasn't able to file my taxes and everything. And that meant so many additional affidavits and paperwork and all of these other things that it just became so cumbersome to where because again i'm on my own i had to manage all of that and so obviously some balls were dropped and there was you know it to me i felt like yes there was resources there but not enough support to make the resources accessible to those who need them
1: Mm -hmm. some really interesting input so it sounds like it helps some, and then it hurt others and yeah this is definitely impactful we got about a minute left on this question and we'll ask the second half of the question
4: yeah. this is um kimberly and i had the same problem my my um business was only one year old when covid happened um so i wasn't able to file for the ppp simply because i just didn't have the documentation in place that i needed but with the um loan slash grant I was able to receive a small amount of the grant funding and then a loan to kind of keep everything afloat. Um, so. Well, and, so, And that helped, you know, but I didn't even apply for the PPP.
1: That's good. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we're going to to move on to the uh, second half of that question. So the second half of the question is, do you believe the CARES Act could have done better with financial help for small businesses? If so, what could be done? And we could start off with Eric on that one.
7: Uh, So it's actually a really interesting situation. I hadn't had to use any of the programs because at the time when all this happened, I had just taken a job with the city. So now I have a company, and I also am the chief storyteller for the city of Detroit, which is my government title, which is kind of dramatic. Um, but um, what happened in the city, because I was close to it, is that we launched a thing called Detroit Means Business, um, and we helped a lot of business owners in the city fill out that paperwork because a lot of the funding and support was going to really large companies who had. Lawyers, all the kind of folks. So people are getting like, I forgot we're coming up. was got you know twelve million dollars, and they didn't need it at all. Um, you got the Lakers getting money, and so we. The the biggest problem I saw with the program is it started kind of top. It, you know, it's that trickle down nonsense again. They started at the top, like we'll give all these people who don't need help all the help when the infrastructure should have been put in place. Um, that the smaller businesses got more of the influxes more more rapidly. Um, And then the city of Detroit focused hard on helping small business owners who didn't have access fill out paperwork and documents. And so if there would have been a more ubiquitous adoption of the understanding of what was going on, other municipalities and cities would have been able to help. So the biggest problem I saw was A, it was too top-down. B, there wasn't an infrastructure for it. And C, it was too late. Right. Um, there wasn't like a plan in January to start distributing in February, so that by March people would have support. People were getting their support by June, July, and by then they already laid off their staff. Um, and so that to me was what was frustrating. There was so much denial about what was happening in the beginning, kind of like what's going on now. That the infrastructure wasn't put in place to just solve the problem. It was a little bit more bickering, and now that's why you see our current stimulus has kind of been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And delayed. We are doing a little bit more politics than we are
1: supporting small businesses. Thank you for sharing that. We got about two minutes left on the question. Um, Eden, do you have an influence? Um, I, I echo
6: um, the sentiment of Eric. There was a lot of. I, I also echoed a lot of what was said earlier about the misinformation. I mean, not really misinformation, but there was just like a lack of clarification from the get go of how the programs worked. Like, um, You know, like I don't think a lot of people understood that you know EIDL is a loan and it's a a loan that you absolutely have to pay back. Uh, Whereas you know, there's also like a lot of conflicting information of who qualifies for like the PPP. Like, if I I, I also was, um, I believe like what AJ said, I was in the same boat where I was told like that I did qualify and then eventually I did. So. There was a lot of moving parts, which I guess was was understandable, but it didn't take away the fact that the people that really needed it the most were largely deprived of the help from the get go. Um and like I said, you know, a lot of people that didn't necessarily need it got it, right? So um I absolutely think like, you know, from a federal level, uh, from a national level, there should have been, you know, clearer
5: directives from the get go.
1: Absolutely. I'd like
5: to add to that. This is AJ. Um and I completely agree with what you said. And also I did not realize uh Eric and I are connected that this was the same. Eric. Um uh we're connected on LinkedIn. Eric, I just sent you a message. But um, um like, oh my gosh, what a small world. But um I think, you know, there, there, for me, like, I think what I would like to see happen or what would have been more beneficial is a lot of the CARES Act was was towards, like, businesses and um, product-based businesses or service-based businesses that have been in existence for a while. But mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, for, uh, for instance, like, you know, with, with, with me, you know, when COVID happened, I had six contracts on the table that got, all six of them got pulled in like within two hours with corporations. And so, and we were literally at the final step, but then the COVID shutdown happened and all of this happened. And I got told, I can't um, put that down as a revenue loss. Mm Mm-hmm because they weren't signed, but it was like, you know, and and so those kind of, like, nuances and those kind of, like, nitty-gritty details of um, what this means for service-based businesses and, um, you know, product-based businesses, Stupid service-based businesses in terms of the, the 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 marginal cost of it, like the real cost of it, and then the opportunity cost of it, all of that. I don't think those were articulated well, and I think Eden put it really well in the in the it, you know in in the, in that. It wasn't, I, I, it wasn't misinformation. You're right, Eden. It was very conflicting information, and it was so conflicting that you were, we were left with a sense of, like, I don't even know what step to take anymore. So I think, like, clarity on that and maybe even some kind of, like, even like a video or, like, a, you know, a video training or something beyond just the words on that website, which was broken half the
3: time. Yeah. Hey, can I um, make a small comment on that? My mm-hmm. my chamber has been integral in helping me. They did all that. They set up meetings for us with lawyers. They did um, PowerPoint presentations on how to fill stuff out. I had already done it, so I had already spent that nine hours, but they had done it later. I sat in on it to make sure I did it correctly. Um, we have training right now on how to get the forgiveness that they're going to set up as soon as they're able to. So, um, I don't know if you belong to your chamber, but I know Rochester's chamber has been phenomenal. So, yes, I, I agree. Rochester,
5: I'm most, like, Rochester's
3: chamber has been phenomenal and
5: we can talk offline about this. I'm mm-hmm. in that weird situation where I moved right before COVID hit.
4: hmm
5: And so, um, I was also in that situation where I was for a, for a long while, I was in between Wayne County and Oakland County, not Mm -hmm. having, having moved out of Wayne County, not having established residence in Oakland County, like, you know, in terms of like my bills and everything. So I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, so I have nowhere to go. Like what is going on? Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know,
5: so my situation was very, uh, it was very different. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, yes, absolutely, there were some chambers that did a phenomenal job. Uh, I just wish that came down through the state instead of yes. the individual chambers, so that it was standardized and more accessible.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we're going to move on to the next question, and thank you again, everyone, for sharing your opinions on that one, because it, it it sounds like that whole system, like I mentioned before, it helps some, hurt others. Um, some, it was just beyond confusing. And everyone, is absolutely valid, absolutely valid on how you feel about the CARES Act. Clarity, are you ready for the next question? Uh, do you mean nuance? Yeah. Oh, uh, nuance. nuance, yeah. yeah. I'm, <laughs> <laughs>
5: I'm
1: talking
3: about it. I was like, aren't you clarity?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm clarity. <laughs> 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 nuance, are you ready for the next one, number six? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, I got
3: this.
2: Many people have voiced a need for living minimum wage of $15 per hour so that people are able to make ends meet with one job. However, it is not well-known fact that small businesses do not get the subsidies that large corporations receive from U.S. taxpayers to be able to afford... To pay their workers that living wage and complete in the job market with major corporations and franchises. What are the barriers for small business like yours to getting these subsidies? And what can people do to contribute to solving this problem? Did anyone get that?
5: Can I, yeah, can I go first on that? Because I have so many, I, I, mm, this is like one of my rant topics, actually, but I won't rant. Um, So, yes, it's absolutely true that, you know, I mean, it goes back to, I think, what Tanya said earlier, right? As small business owners, we we go through phases where we don't even give ourselves paychecks. So, the idea of, you know, there was, especially at the beginning of COVID, after my contracts, like, Broke down and everything. What I would have, like, I would have done anything to make that fifteen dollars an hour even because I wasn't even there and I was doing all of this stuff. But um, at the same time, I think intentionality there is a big piece of it because by no means am I at like a multi gazillion dollar business. However, my intentionality came in in the fact that um, I decided to invest wherever I needed the help in terms of like the external support in terms of a VA or any other vendors I needed I was very intentional about in about seeking out and investing in black women-owned businesses and I gave them $15 an hour Mm. even though it cost me more at the end of the day because here's the here's the bottom line here right now we're going through COVID there's going to be another crisis at some point, whether, you know, it may not be health. It may not be what, you know, it may not be anything else uh, or it may be something else rather. Um, but the thing is we're always going to have problems. Those problems should not stop us doing what is right in terms of helping people in, in terms of doing the ethical thing and doing the right thing to help small business owners to help marginalized small business owners survive and pay their bills. So wherever I could afford that help, I was still very, very, very intentional about um, making that move. Did it hurt me? I'm sure, yes, it did, Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, this is a collective effort and I really, really want to put that out there. And in terms of, what was the second part of the question?
2: Uh, the second part is, what are the barriers for small businesses like yours to getting these subsidies, and what can people do to contribute to solving this problem?
5: Mm. Yeah. What people can do to contribute to solving this problem, please, please, invest in small businesses, especially small businesses that, have, that are owned by people who have who are members of historically marginalized groups, like um, black women, entrepreneurs, the percentages have grown so much. And at the end of the day, like, you know, not to make this political or or anything by any means, but um, man, how many different counties and states and cities did they like literally save our butts in? You know, so let's put our money into let's put our money where our mouth is toward inclusion by supporting these very businesses. Like um, it's really simple. You don't, you know, if you're sitting there and you, you know, I'll use me as an example. If you're sitting there and you're thinking about a leadership development program, which right now is actually the perfect time for you to invest in yourself. But if you're thinking about that, or if you're thinking about how do I be an intentional ally, Or how do I be an intentional advocate? Or how do I be an inclusive leader? Look for these historically marginalized people that are putting these out, because at the end of the day, they're gonna charge you less, you're gonna get more, and you're gonna help them out so much more.
2: That's a very deep and valuable answer. Thank you for your input. Um, uh, Tanya, would you like to add anything?
3: Yeah, um, from... A restaurant owner's perspective, well, actually, let me back up. I'm a union man's daughter, so of course, I will always fight for the people to have a livable wage. However, I'm also a business person, so I look at my business and I look at other small boutique uh, stores and restaurants in my town. And I can tell you there's absolutely no way they can pay people $15 an hour minimum wage. And if you were to ask my wait staff, would you rather have $15 an hour or would you rather have tips? Um, Most times they would say tips because my people make $25 an hour in tips typically for our events. And I have seen some feedback, uh, some information on other places that have tried in the restaurant business to pay people, uh, the waitstaff, um, I think it was $15 an hour. Was that in California? I, I, I don't remember. Um, and they went back to the way that they used to do it with just tips. So um, that's just from my perspective in the restaurant business, but yes, for manufacturing and for um Other businesses that are office-like, I can see where um, it would be very helpful to have the $15 an hour. I didn't even know that there were going to be subsidies, so just being on this call has opened my eyes that, hey, that's a thing. So thank you. I'll be looking into that.
2: Of course. Now, we don't really have a whole lot of time left. Uh, I would like to leave this question open for any others who would like to chime in.
1: Yep, we've got about a minute left on this question.
3: Doctor A, do you have people that are that you're paying more than minimum wage or that you're paying
0: oh, oh, everybody in my office is getting paid more than minimum wage. And and know what the thing is, when you pay them like twelve dollars, thirteen dollars an hour, you know, they think it's just twelve or thirteen dollars an hour. They don't realize that when I pay taxes on them yes. that that's dollars really yes. seventeen dollars an hour person. Correct. I mean, it's yes. still like the, the responsibility you have just because and what's going on. And then they go, yeah, but that's nothing. Um, a third of that's gone, so I'm really not making anything. I said, let me tell you something. I have to pay 30% on your money. Yeah. And when, um, if I make 100 grand this year, I got to pay 30% of it. I got to pay $30,000, $33,000 in taxes. And a lot of yes. times I pay even more. I said, so w- that's just the fact of life. I mean, they, they're like, can you just pay me cash and I can collect unemployment? I mean, this unemployment thing is gone crazy. I ha- my, my accountant had to give um, a letter to my main girl. So she's like, Dr. Ray, man, I'm making more money not working. So, you know, I'll work for you on the side for cash. But I said, man, you don't realize I get I get penalized from the insurance company when I'm paying unemployment. and Mm -hmm. and my rates and the other thing is where are we going to stop? I mean, if I'm paying you cash, I mean, where is that going to stop? You know what I mean? So it's just, it's Mm -hmm. been really difficult with the unemployment, with um, people like wanting more money because they're making less on doing other things and I'm like, hey, I'm paying you more than more than basic uh, um, um, minimum minimum wage. wage. Yeah, minimum wage. But I'm also like, you know, it, it, you came with no skills. Nobody in my office has come in with skills, and I'm teaching them mm. how to take grades, how to do billing. I mean, no one is perfect at me yet. To one girl, and yes, she take a twenty dollars an hour. I, I think training is
1: very
2: important. Uh, touch point you just brought up. Thank you for
1: that. Um, Thank you very much. To to take the next question. Yep. So we have just two last questions. So we have one more kind of pretty deep question, and then we're going to wrap it up with the last question that's pretty lighthearted. So with the second to last question, before the pandemic of COVID-19 successful, successful small family businesses, especially the restaurants would end because of the retirement or unfortunate passing of the owners. Some have found that the solution to keeping workers employed and the local tax base steady by working with their local government to teach their workers how to own a business, i.e. turning the business into a co-op. Power in the workplace is democratized, and low high energy wages salary for the managers and executives who take on more responsibilities and risk is voted on by everyone in the company. Countries in Europe have found this to be pretty successful in coexisting alongside the private sector, would you recommend small family business in the United States to do the same? Why or why not? And we can direct this one to Kimberly. Oh, wow. Well,
4: um,
1: <laughs> it's pretty pretty deep.
4: <laughs> okay. uh, Actually, I'm glad
3: Kimberly's going first. I
0: know, right? No, Kimberly, Kimberly is not going question. first.
3: Kimberly has no idea. I
4: don't. So uh, honestly, can you I just understand? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, basically from how, how, what this program is, is in countries in Europe, um, what they've done for small businesses is that they oftentimes will train their employees on how to essentially run and own the business. So eventually what happens is, is that a percentage of the income that comes in from, like, say, I don't know, like somebody bought something for the company, like they're selling T-shirts or something, and a portion of that goes to the employees, and then eventually they start training them into actually being a co-operator. Of the business.
4: Hmm.
3: I'm actually okay with that. Uh, it sounds interesting. I want to learn more about it. Someone
1: <laughs> come to take
4: over. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It definitely sounds interesting. It sounds like a way to um, kind of educate people on the systematic ways you run your business um, and kind of empower them to work for themselves if i um, understanding this correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sounds like a positive aspect um, to me. But but I don't know. It, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's a very different system um, when it comes to running a business. So instead of just hiring a person and they work for you, essentially to some extent they start to om- almost own the business to some you, but it depends on the training from top down. Dr. Raymond, did you have something?
0: Yeah, you know what? I tried to do that with a chiropractic one. I mean, I would like to do it, but it's only beneficial if your short term is, um, is up. Like I know I'm going to be in practice, man, if I can get out in four years and have someone work with me as a partner, that's great. But the one factor that no one takes account for is the fact that like Tanya busted her butt on her place. And if she finally gets it going and someone wants to come in, they say, Yeah, I'm going to be partners. I mean, Tanya took like three years of building a name, doing the yeah. hard work, doing the work, taking the risk, putting your family aside just to make those extra hours. And now someone wants to come and be a partner. And now, they, since they got everything all set up, it's easy for them. There's got to be some kind of um, pay, 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 pay in.
1: Work. Yeah, there's got to be a little bit. That's a good perspective. Thank you for sharing yeah,
3: that. I can see that. I don't even know enough about it to really comment on it, except that um, I, I understand and I can see how uh, employees would buy into it more if they had something at stake in the end. Um, but then someone is taking the bigger risk here, like what Doc Ray said. But, uh, so I can see both sides, you know, or not that they're – it's a tight thing, but you know what I mean. Um, I, I can see both aspects of that.
1: Uh, uh, absolutely, thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and I just want
5: to add like one quick thing there, and it's specifically using Dray as an example. Um, <clears throat> you know, he is a qualified, certified chiropractor.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Now, even with this program in mind. Do I want somebody who's just been kind of trained in the business, but at the end of the day, like, um, are they going to, like, crack my back into paralysis? Like,
3: um, (laughs) (laughs) great, great.
5: Uh, so, so that, that that aspect of it, I think, is also a huge, you know, huge part of it that we have to consider, depending again on what the business is. Because, do I want somebody who's done like a twelve-hour weekend retreat and has become like a neuroscience specialist? Um, no, no, no.
4: Mm,
5: or a mm. chiropractor? No. You know what I mean? But. Uh, uh, like in Kanye's space with apprenticeships and all of that, I can see that happening. Same thing in Kim's space. So I think it's really, really industry specific, and I don't mm-hmm. know enough to say more. But that's yeah. like the first thing that came to my mind. Was like I'm gonna be terrible. Well, right. <laughs> that's yeah. a very fair perspective. Yeah.
7: yeah.
0: When, what my just uh, say that to
7: you? I, I got like. So this is Eric. I, I do. I, it's one of those things that. I think people should be able to do things that work for them, but not put added pressure on folks that don't. For, for instance, a, a lot of people, back to the being, owning a business kind of sucks, um, <laughs> it, it sounds <laughs> all good in yeah. theory until you do have to make yeah. certain decisions. It's like, all right, everybody, let's get together and vote on which of you guys gets fired because we're out of payroll, right? And then, it, then all of a sudden it's like, I think you should handle that, right? Like it, and so it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like it's now right. so it turns into a survivor. Um, and, and so it, it, it is really important that if you're going to build a company that has a co-op model, you should probably build it from that, with that intention in the first place. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't suggest you turn a company that is not a co-op model into a co-op model because, yeah. once again, um, leadership requires responsibility. And some people don't want to have that responsibility, and I don't judge them for it. It's one thing to be able to go to work, clock out at 5, and go home to your family and only think about your family. It's a total mistake to go home, look at your family, but have to think about work because all of a sudden everybody in the company just became an owner of the company yesterday. And like mm-hmm. that's a lot of responsibility to place on somebody in the pursuit of democratization. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we don't, think all, we don't always think about um, the weight of leadership as well. It's
2: not all sunflowers and roses.
3: I totally agree with that
2: Thank you for sharing that
3: um, I just did a poetry
2: snap for
4: that
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Now for our last question is what is one thing that stood out to you that someone else shared that inspired you You mean tonight?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, let's start with Eric on this one Eric would you mind? Uh, sure,
7: I really like the story, and forgive me, I forgotten your name because I have the memory of a goldfish. Um, but I really like the the story of like transitioning from like a full restaurant model to like a smaller kind of boutique, um, intimate situation where you do have takeout and all those sorts of things. I'm always mm-hmm. impressed by business owners who are able to be malleable, but I think that is the differentiating factor from a business owner and a hobbyist. Right, somebody whose job it is to find and create value however it appears, whether which is different than like a chef, right? A chef would have been like, I don't know, I'm making cupcakes, and so now I'm gonna make cupcakes smaller.
4: Mm-hmm. To transition mm-hmm. your
7: business model is, is truly entrepreneurial, and I think that's really impressive.
4: Thank you. Um,
2: would anyone else care to chime in?
0: I, I'm, impressed, I'm impressed with the fact that everyone gave up a little part of their Sunday. To share what's happening, to hopefully maybe help other people in some way. If we, if I just help one person and thinking about things a little differently, that's cool with me.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I, I wanted mean, to. Oh, sorry. Go ahead,
0: Ray. No, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, I know we're all brokenhearted hearted that the Lions lost, but I mean, we could have, you know. <laughs>
4: able. Now it's Green
0: at least we have you guys please Uh,
1: uh,
3: I was going to say Kimberly um, I admire um, that you are wearing multiple hats and that is the entrepreneurial spirit of what makes uh, um, that's what makes business owners really a small business owner is unique is that we wear multiple, multiple hats. And so you are a micro business. So it's even harder because you really have no, uh, no other support. So, and there, you know, I can go to an employee, even though I'm super small, I still can go to an employee and say, you got this today. I'm not feeling well. So, um, you know, I, I admire, um, that you're still going, and uh, keep keep on keeping on, sister.
4: Well, thank you. Um, and I just want to say thanks to everyone collectively um, for inviting us to your platform, to everyone who has shared um, different resources. You know, I'm going to check with my chamber to see what they have available. And thank you to everyone for just sharing your obstacles and how you've overcome the challenges.
3: Absolutely.
4: Yeah. So I was like,
5: um, I was inspired by every single person on here, but there were, there are a couple of specific points I want like that, that like really, really stuck me. One is Tanya's pivot. Like Eric said, like, um, because of like the way I've had to pivot, um, Tanya, you made me feel not alone. Mm-hmm. Even though my pivot was in a completely different space, just the, um, the, the, the bottom line of the foundation of that struggle, I was like, okay, it wasn't just me,
3: <sighs>
5: you know. So it was like a, a breath of like camaraderie relief almost. Uh, I don't know what mm-hmm. else to call it. Um, and then, um, so I, I love that. And then Kim really inspired me, Kimberly really inspired me with. Um, uh, with the, with how how the businesses got done uh, how the business got set up and then some ed tech who can be designed um that was great and then eric um eric's point about leadership is not for everyone mm-hmm. um i'm gonna take that forward with me for the rest of my life as a leadership coach and consultant. because we are conditioned to train leaders. You know what I mean though? Like it's one of those things where we are conditioned to, like if somebody comes to me and says I wanna be a leader and we are a good fit, like I will train them. But that point about leadership not being for everyone, it's, um, it's so potent because it really, really immediately made me think about, oh gosh, what kind of leader is my training?
1: Very good point. Eden. Do you have any last-minute statements?
5: I'm just so grateful to be
6: here to be um, in this panel discussion. Um, you know, uh, been a lot of the a lot of the parts um, of this whole pandemic. I felt you know isolated and alone, and you know felt like pulling my hair out a lot of times. But um, you know, if there's one thing that um, tonight echoed coded, that sense of togetherness that um, us, you know, small entrepreneur's here, regardless of, you know, whichever industry we're in, um, it's just, it's just so great uh, to hear and to be inspired by everybody pivoting and making adjustments in these times and just having that fighting spirit. It's really great to hear everything tonight.
1: Well, thank you, everyone. So on behalf of Third Paradigm, we wanted to take the opportunity to thank everybody who came on board tonight. And um, we hope that you enjoyed yourself, and we dive into some pretty deep questions. So what we're going to do is, in our description box, we're going to provide the links to all of your businesses and promote those. So we wanted to take the moment to thank every single one of you for being on board. We're going to release this episode um, this coming Saturday. So thank you so much, everyone.
5: Thank you for... Can I ask you a quick question? Uh, Would it be possible to get the information, and if anybody doesn't like this, please feel free to just tell me to shut up. I would love to connect with, I mean, I know I'm connected with Tanya, Dan, and Eric, but I would love to connect with all of you outside of this, and I'm more than, like, happy to share my information so that I can continue to learn and grow with you. Yeah, uh,
3: it looks like Doc Ray fell off um and i wanted to give a plug out and let you guys know he is fantastic as a chiropractor like he has worked magic with all of us so um i'll make sure you guys get his information too i know he um it froze here for a second and it looks like he dropped off but um i'll get you guys his information as well yeah
5: because just all every single person on this call has been so inspiring like i just i just want to talk to you
1: (laughs)
3: Right.
1: Yeah. So, on behalf of Third Paradigm, thank you everyone for jumping on, taking the time out, for being on this panel. Definitely want to thank Dr. Ray, Kim, Eric, Tanya, Doctor AJ, all of you for being here and taking the time to answer these very somewhat difficult questions when dealing with the pandemic in your businesses. So, thank mm-hmm. you so much, and we look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thank you.
4: Thanks for listening. Thank you.